And so we've been, if you're new with us, looking at Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we're unpacking what that is because that's a reality to be known and experienced and realized today, now, yesterday, tomorrow. It's not something that just stays in nice form on a TV screen, but it's to be my, our literal reality that we are able to imitate God. Who says that? That. Do you know that? That's not me saying that. That's God saying that to you. You are to imitate me. I don't know how many times it says it. It says about probably six or seven times. Go and do a word study. And Paul even says this, imitate us as we imitate God. Ooh, there's another level, isn't it? Arrogance or humility. Which one? I'm going for humility. So Christ in us, the hope of glory. I personally have a conviction that this is the end time message. That we need to come into more and more and more. Now, it has always been the message, though it's not new. God works through a prophetic calendar. He works through a prophetic time. So he started creation. He will end creation. And so the clock is ticking. And he knows, the, and he's the only one that knows, when it will all end. And he knows when the sun is returning. And he knows what the world's going to be like as the sun gets closer. The, birth, the Bible talks about birth pangs. Okay? Do you know when the birth starts? You can't stop it, can you? You can try, but that baby's coming out one way or another. So birth pangs are happening. They will happen. You can't stop it. You can't pray against it. It's going to happen, so you have to be ready for it. You have to have a substance in you greater than you so you can stand when the birth pangs get stronger and stronger and it gets darker. And this is the message Christ gave Paul to preach to anyone and everyone who had ears to hear who would listen. He says, I've been revealed the mystery that all the other prophets were longing to come into that were looking forward and ahead of time and they were seeing into the future because the Bible is prophetic and you can know it all because it already is finished. And so he was speaking it forward so a man would receive it and proclaim and prophesy it. I'm prophesying right now. Don't think prophecy is just, here's an individual word. I'm prophesying to you a living reality in God. The whole Bible is prophetic. Jesus is the prophetic message because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Everything Jesus has done is prophecy. It's whether we have come into that yet or not in a way that's changing you because it's going to get harder. It's going to get darker. The trials and the tribulation are going to get more extreme. And the question the Holy Spirit is asking us, because that, I believe, is the end time message, is do you have a Christ in you that's strong enough to withstand, stand firm, and resist what's happening? I could leave it right there, really, couldn't I? And go away and ask yourself that question. You know, he comes to build his church. and He builds a church that that can be a reality in. That's what's prophesied. He says it is the truth. So I don't argue with him. I surrender to him. 
I don't sit there and rework the words. I have to look at the words that are spirit and life and allow them and the magnitude of those words to shine into my heart and my mind and say, Father, that looks massive, but you say it's true, so it must be true. I know it's impossible with man, but I know it's fully possible with God. So, Father, I submit and I come in a passion and a position of weakness because until I'm weak, I can't be strong. And if I come in my strength, that's foolishness, you say. So I come in weakness before you. I come with nothing and I bring nothing but myself. And then I ask you to go to work to build me that that would be my reality. That's how I've lived 19 years knowing that it's not on us and we must get revelation if we are to have this Christ in us in a way that we can imitate God. See, I can't emulate. Sam did an amazing message the other night on Sunday night and he talked about the difference between imitate and emulate. And emulate is trying to copy but imitate is having someone in you that just flows out of you so you find yourself doing stuff that you know you can't do. I think it's amazing that you can stand and operate and know it's not you, but it is you that's doing it. But there's someone greater in you and there's a power in you that's enabling an action that you know is not you. Does that make sense? Yeah. I hope so. It's amazing. It's called Christ in us. And so I believe our primary focus, and this is the message I believe God has personally gave me to be a communicator of, is this. I know if this message grabs us and enters into us, everything else will flow. Everything flows out of this reality, and Jesus was the model for it. He did nothing from his own initiative. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so I not only want to walk through you, I want to build my life in you. And for too long, all we've heard is the message through. What are we going to do? Not who we're becoming. And out of being, we will do. And the being is innate, it's not conscious. It's like breathing. You don't think to breathe. You just breathe. You respond innately in ways because you are human. Well, if you are Christ-like, you will respond Christ-like without thinking because it has been built in you. It is your new nature. Okay? He gives us the prophetic promises that we may partake of that nature of God. So love just comes forth from you. Joy, it's not something you put on anymore. You may have had to do that to get into this position I'm describing, but it is just innate. It flows forth from you. That's what his word teaches me. To be perfected in love that you can walk in the manner to which Jesus literally walked this life. And we are commanded by God, so it must be possible if he commands it, to love one another as Jesus loves you. So if Jesus gives you a command, he is not a liar, and he doesn't change his mind. So it's fully possible to love another person as Jesus loves that person. 
This is what we have to grapple with because we have to look at that and go, that's pretty big, but that's possible when Christ in me is my hope of glory. So we've sort of been talking in the last two weeks about the spirit of pride must fall from a great height for it to be broken to pieces. And so it says those who have fallen on the rock are broken into pieces. What gets broken? Spirit of pride, your will that is so powerful gets broken. If I was just to fall right from here now onto the ground, probably not going to break anything. It's going to hurt, but I'm probably not going to break anything unless I'm incredibly lucky, unlucky. But if I was to climb up onto the ceiling and fall off the roof and land on the ground, I'm probably going to break a number of things, aren't I? So when you fell upon the rock, what height did you fall from? Was it just a meter or was it 100 feet? And when you hit that rock, did you get broken into pieces or did you just crack a little bit? One's not right or wrong, but one is more powerful than the other. Because you can just get a chip or a crack. And so the spirit of pride, our will, is still existing and it wants to determine everything. So it will determine his word and himself through its own lens. But when you fall from 100 feet, 100 meters, and get smashed, like the illustration I showed you, then you don't put that back together again. Your will is broken. And now you're a pliable, moldable, humble vessel who says, whatever it is, your way is now my way. And so there's this process that we have to go through for this to fully become our full, realized, recognized reality, where it's tangible and in us. God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the pride, sorry, the proud. God gives power to the humble, but he opposes those who are powerful in their own strength. So I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I'll define it. I'll define it. He gives power, grace to the humble to live the life, but the pride of heart, he opposes. You're in opposition to me. See, it says that the rich struggle to enter the kingdom of God, doesn't it? The rich young ruler, he's not just talking about money, he's talking about rich in spirit. Those who are proudful in heart, who are trying to hold their life together. Those that haven't relinquished the control of their life because they haven't yet fallen from a height that would smash. It's very hard to lay your life down if you're still living. It's not something you choose to do out of a choice of your will. You'll fight that reality because there's the battle of flesh and spirit going on within you. He's asking you to do this. You're going, but I want to do that but I don't know what that's going to be like. I know, but trust me. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. Well, no, I've been out all night long working and I've cleaned my nets. And so there's this wrestle in the spirit between flesh and spirit that goes on within us. And the Bible says that flesh and spirit are in opposition to one another in Galatians. And so listen to this, Proverbs 11, 2, it will come up. When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. When pride comes, then what do you dishonor? You dishonor God, his way, those that are sent to help you. But with the humble is wisdom. Wisdom is not just intellectual knowledge. Wisdom is the ability to demonstrate a reality 
that's his. So it may start in understanding Logos truth, but then it transitions to Rema, where you find yourself with the living power, the wisdom, which is Jesus Christ, in you, and you're able, because Christ is in you, to live as Christ. But that's with the humble, those who have their spirit broken. Paul said, I am contrite of heart and broken of spirit. I once wasn't because I actually thought I could have a woman and kill her husband and I'd get away with it. And yes, I am the king of Israel. And yes, I'm the same David that slew Goliath. But the man had a repentant heart, didn't he? When Nathan the prophet came as a peacemaker and put his life on the line because he's talking to a warrior king and he's about to say, hey, warrior king, you've done wrong. You can't do that unless you're humble of spirit because you know your life could be taken that night. But when you're humble in spirit, your life is already gone because your life is hidden in Christ. So your life is no longer your own and you don't hold your life because your life is not yours. And that enables you, empowers you to live that out. And then a man who's the king of Israel, who should have been living out what Nathan was, who hasn't yet come into it, then gets convicted by the Spirit of God. He's broken, and he says, you no longer want sacrifices. You no longer want the things. What do you want? A broken and contrite heart, a broken spirit. And then, if you follow it down, then you want my offerings. And so there's a transition. He started in the wrong place. Remember I said you have to go backwards sometimes to go forwards. But in going backwards, it's not backwards really, it's forwards. So you have to hear it to go backwards to go forwards. Because he's finding himself not with this heart position. But he repents and then comes into it and he moves forward in God. That was the difference between David and Judas and Peter. They repented. They turned and found a greater reality in God, which enabled them to live like God. So our will, our pride, needs to be demolished for this Christ in us to materialize. One who has fallen on the rock and had their will broken into pieces never gets sick and tired of hearing this message because they know it is a message of life for others. I say that from love, but if you find yourself going, oh my goodness, this message again. If you have gone through this transition, you'll never get sick of it because you know it's a message of life and you will go preach it, preach it, because I want my brothers and sisters who haven't yet transitioned through this cross in a measure to come out the other life. Why? Because you know it's brought you life. You know it's a narrow path. You know it's a crushing path. You know and you've gone through and you've come with nothing and he's brought you out the other side of the cross and you're an abundant life. And because you're in that, you want everyone to experience that because you want everyone to experience the life you're in. So we need to catch ourselves at times and ask ourselves, have we actually transitioned where we think we may have transitioned? Because anything of God, we go yes and amen. doesn't matter if we're hearing it for the hundredth time. When it is God, it is living, I love him, sing it, speak it, because it is of you. You never get bored of hearing the same thing about Jesus. Why? Because it's food. It's only boring if you have a mental understanding of what you're listening to. If you're eating food, man, we went to Krispy Kremes. 
<laughs> now I got bored of going to Krispy Kremes. Man, Krispy Kremes, bring one to Wellington. A yeah, little bit of sidetrack information. Do you know that in, I was talking to the, the man who was the uh, Cambodian sort of general manager for Krispy Kremes, and he said, we opened the store in Auckland, and Auckland smashed all of their records worldwide <laughs> for doing a million dollars in one week. He said, it was amazing. We said, well, bring one down to Wellington. We'll smash it. We'll do better than that. But I never got tired of going to Krispy Kremes. <laughs> Beautiful. And we never get tired of hearing the word because the word is food. It's him. And so this message and title is called Weakness, the Pathway to Strength. Weakness, the Pathway to Strength. What are you talking about, Greg? That's counter cultural to our flesh, isn't it? It's countercultural to the system in the world. It's countercultural to the flesh that's at weakness is the pathway to strength. Now certainly what I bring with me is going to propel me into more strength. Certainly my strength and the gifting that I've got and the calling I've got is going to propel me into strength. Yes, after you've transitioned from weakness to strength. See, everything, I'm learning everything God has to define. Everything, everything he's given, we must be given back to for him to give it back to us. So we don't define it and so it doesn't cripple us. Every gifting, every calling, every person, every good thing that comes from God must be given back to God. Otherwise, we'll define it, we'll hold it too tight, and we won't hold it with our hands open for God to put it in, take it out. And so because we're holding everything too tight, when we lose those things, we go down with those things because our identity and our purpose has been put in those things rather than in him. That's why Jesus said, I do not entrust, E-N, trust my heart to man, for I know what is in man. I entrust my heart to my Father, John 2, 24 to 25. So if anything that is immovable and unshakable falls, I don't fall with it because I'm not given and I'm not anchored in it. This is for us because Jesus is the model, is he not? He is the example that we are to entrust our entire lives into our Father's hands so we know this world is perishing, we know the heavens are perishing, we know we will all die, and everything is immovable and shakable but him. So why would you put your life into something that's ultimately perishing and can be taken from you? That is not wisdom, that is foolishness. It is because you don't yet know the one enough to put everything in him. And he's trying to get our attention to say, give me your entirety. But unless you come through weakness, you will stay strong and you won't relinquish your life. So you will stay in the control of your life and you'll try and manage and lead your own life. But the life is on the other side of that cross. And we think the cross is a one-off thing. And it's a continuous process of death to life. It's a life of repentance. Yes, asking him to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you is a one-off. You just confess it after that. Okay, So forgive me, I've forgiven you. 
I might be messing up. I just confess it to him, the Bible says. So he's going to forgive you because he's forgetting your past, present, future sin. But he wants your mind renewed. And so it's a lifetime of having your mind renewed so we can see as he sees, receive as he wants us to, accept and believe it. And then Christ in us is being built through what I receive, which is the living word of God, the bread of life. But that is on the other side. That's through the cross, not sitting at the cross. So there is this process, and he says, and Paul clearly articulates it so we don't get lost. He says, only when I'm weak am I strong. The man you look at is only strong because he surrendered and came and realized I got nothing. See, it's nothing into everything. But if we don't transition through this way, who is the way? See, the way is not a process. The way is a person. So you know the person can stand right in front of you and you can reject the person, the way, because the way doesn't match your way. And you end up having a battle thinking it's with the other person and it's your battle's with Christ. And so that's where, see, without humility, there's dishonor. You don't honor the Christ, but you have no understanding that's what you're doing. You think it's something else or someone else, but it can be Jesus saying, it's me, it's me. You see why love has to be patient? And love is so kind while you come to the end of yourself and realize, who is me? You know how many times I've realized that? It takes a while though, doesn't it? It takes a while of trying yourself to find a life and still coming up short thinking 100% you're right to only discover through revelation you weren't as right as what you thought. But it can only be through revelation. That's what I've discovered. You can tell people, you can try and help people, you can share, but they don't believe you until they get a revelation. Until that hardness of heart, which Jesus talks about in his disciples, and that mindset that, they don't even realize, we, I don't even realize you got it. And then one day, something happens, maybe because you've heard it over and over and over, and bing, the lights go on. And you're like, oh my goodie, aunt, they were telling me this for eight years. How thick am I? No, son, you're not thick. You're not thick. You just didn't have my mind on it. And my spirit is the one. You weren't asking for my spirit to renew your mind because you thought you were right. You thought you had a part of me. But everything in me produces life. And this is our challenge. So let's not be in opposition to the way, the person, which is more and more of coming into this narrow gate and letting go of ourselves. Let's just go to 2 Corinthians 12. And this is this passage, and there's so much in here, it's not funny, of Paul talking. And this is why I'm writing the, this next book about Paul, because Paul is a typology of a son and a church. 
So he's an example, like Jesus is an example, Paul is an example. If we look at his life, we will see the way the man went from being Saul to Paul. And if we study his words that God has allowed him to write, he's describing to us the way in which he was able to live the way he lived. How many of you want to live like Paul? How many of you want to imitate Paul? Because Paul said, imitate me as I imitate the Lord. So think about Paul's life. How many times was Paul whipped and still sung praises? Five times. He was whipped five times, 39 times, and still said, I will follow you, Lord. The man was stoned to death, they thought, shipwrecked, thrown in prison. He most wrote most of his letters from prison and still knew that his life had meaning and purpose and it was advancing and everything he was saying and doing was advancing God's kingdom because he had Christ in him, the hope of glory. So he shares his reality for us in his letters, for us to see it through revelation because we must see what's here, not read what's here. Okay? Through meditation, the Holy Spirit will reveal the pictures in his word. Vision to see as God says. Powerful. So here we go, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, this is Paul. You want surpassing greatness of revelation contained in the book? We can know revelations. God wrote a book about it called Revelations. <laughs> Pretty smart. Because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Pretty powerful, isn't it? God gives him a messenger of Satan to torment him. To keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. So he's going through a trial. He's going through a tribulation. God helps him by sending him a thorn in his flesh. <laughs> Is that the God you know? That's an interesting version of God, isn't it? I didn't think God did that sort of stuff. Well, take it up with God. See, we need to know him because in the bits that we don't understand, the more we know him, we don't get derailed through the mystery of who he is. So the more I come to know God, the things that I don't yet get, that I don't have his wisdom on because he is the creator, not me, I don't get derailed in parts. Because I go, I don't get that, but I know you enough to not be derailed by that. And because I know you're good and you're not a liar, I can trust you. So reveal in me and to me what this means and who you are. Because he says, Greek, I'm the creator. I do what I want, when I want, as I want. Who are you to argue? You're just a human that I created from dust. Are we comfortable with that side? 
along with he loves me, I'm the greatest of his creation as a people and all those other sides. So here's Paul, finds himself in this situation. He implores the Lord three times it might leave him. And he, God says to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power, Paul, is sufficient for you. For power, my power, is perfected in weakness. We all want the power of God, do we not? We all cry out at times, give me more power, give me more power. But power is perfected in weakness, not in our strength. So when we cry out, do we cry out from a position of strength of our own heart? Do we cry out from a position of having yet gone through and found this place of weakness of spirit in him? Actually, we're calling out from a position of pride. And so we go, give me more power. And God goes, no, I'm not going to give you more power because from that position of pride, you'll actually ruin your life. You'll destroy your life because you haven't yet given me and handed over the fullness of your life. And so why would I do that? And so it's telling us here that Power is my power is sufficient for you while this trial and tribulation is going on. So while you're in this trial and tribulation, Paul, my power is sufficient for you, and there's a power it's going to be perfected in your weakness. So as you realize you can't overcome this in your strength and you come to the end of your life and the end of your own strength and the end of your ability to keep your life nice and balanced and in order and ticking all the boxes, when that starts to crumble and fall apart, that's the position that my power is perfected in you because you've come to the end of your strength. And a lot of people, when they start realizing that's happened, run. They run from the finishing work of coming to the end of themselves. They remove themselves from the position. They remove themselves from what they're hearing. They run away and then find this false position of rest again and go, oh, thank goodness, I almost died. And my flesh lives to live another day. And it breaks his heart because he's saying, my power is sufficient for this work to happen. You just don't necessarily know it, but stay in the game, stay with me, stay in my way, and I will finish what I started. I will perfect what I started. So you will run well in this life, and you will be able to finish well, and Christ in you will be the hope of glory that you know. But see how we can easily take ourselves out of process. How many of us have done it? All the honest people. (laughs) So we can, this is what I've seen myself and others do. Justify it away. That's not God. Deny it. Deflect it. Hide from it. Attack and try and kill the reality that's been brought. There's only one right way. It's called repentance, receive, and allow it to happen. And there is no loss in that. Zero loss. You lose your life, you will gain a life you do not yet know. But it doesn't come in a wheat bix packet. 
It comes through an engagement with the Spirit and your spirit where he brings you to the end of you and it's like, oh my goodness, I don't know if there is life over this cliff and you sway at the cliff and you go backwards and forwards, you go yes and you go no, you go yes and you go no and you go yes and you find he's there. (laughs) And you're like, hey, this is awesome. And you look back and you see what you've come through and you see the narrow gate and you're like, whoa. Now that was not me, that was his grace was sufficient, his power was sufficient to carry me and propel me through that narrow pathway. And now I find myself in life that I wasn't in the other side of that process. And I have a power in me now that's been perfected in my weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Now, dwell is to reside. Not here today, gone the next. It is constantly present. Jesus says, I abide in my church. I don't hop in and out of it. I abide, I remain, I dwell, which means there is a power to dwell in us through our weakness, which means we've got to let go of our lives. We've got to get love, the ability to control it. We have to relinquish. We have to come with nothing to receive everything. Have we journeyed through this place yet? And it's a continuous place. And this determines, guys, the life we can know. And Paul is screaming it to us. I love it. Most gladly, therefore, I'll boast about my weaknesses. I'm going to tell you how I can't do it. I'm going to tell you that everything you're hearing is not me. I'm going to tell you my absolute inability to change myself, my absolute inability to lead, my absolute inability to do anything in my strength. Man, what a celebration that is. To be a fool for Christ. What an amazing, awesome thing to be an absolute goon for Jesus Christ and to have the whole world look at you and think you're a fool, but you know you're wise because you've relinquished the control of you. Yeah. Have you come to that life where you can go, yeah, I don't care what you think because I'm in so much life, my life trumps what you think. Because my identity is not in what you think, it's in him. So I can be foolish for Christ. I can look like an idiot for Christ. I can stand up in the middle of meetings and profess Christ if he leads it. And I don't give a rip what anyone thinks. I am a fool for Christ. Because why? Because I transition through and I let go of me. And you come through the birth canal. And now you're in a life going, what is this, man? Your ability to do things that you never could do before, you find you can. So you boast about Christ and you boast about the way which is Christ and you boast about truth and you boast about life and you're prepared to withstand whatever comes your way because Christ in you is greater than what's coming at you. 
so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content. He's well content with weaknesses, insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. Not my flesh's sake. Not me thinking I'm doing great things for Jesus and being persecuted. It's just my flesh. Now I create a self-humility, a false humility, and woe is me. Not that. For Christ's sake. I go through all these things for Christ's sake. What does Romans 8 say? Who can separate me from Christ? Can a devil, can a sword, can an accusation? No. Why? Because I'm more than a conqueror. In Christ, why? Because I transition through weakness to strength. Paul understood that weakness, the pathway from weakness to strength, was the process in Christ because it's the way, it's Christ's way. Christ himself in Philippians modeled this for us. He said, I do not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but I humble and I empty myself to show you the way. I didn't have to do it, I'm God. But as God, I humbled myself and I took the form of man to show man the way. I am the way to demonstrate for you the way of losing yourself. So I had to be emptied as well of all my God here, but I still was God, but I did everything as man. For when I am, when I am weak... Then I am strong. I go to the gym four or five times a week, and you see everyone trying to get big and strong. All the grunts and the groans, and do it myself now and again. You're trying to go a bit heavier. Everyone there is trying to get strong, trying to get fit, and they're trying to get physically strong. Physically look good, change their physique for whatever reason they're doing it. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Nothing wrong with exercise. Nothing wrong with these things. They just don't produce a life within you that's strong. You can build this outer shell that looks strong. You know, you can build a fortune of a house. You can keep the image up with have the right wife and the right kids and the right this and the right that and the right job. You can build this structure which is strong externally. But when the torrents of life come and they're coming and they're going to come more and more and more, the house gets seen for what it's built upon. And if it isn't built on a foundation that is Christ in reality, it will get taken out. Not just in words, in word and a reality, a realized position, revelation of the foundation because one has transitioned. So I'm strong. Even though I look weak, maybe the house is strong. So throw your best shot at it because she's strong. And it pings off. Why? Because the armor, which is Jesus, is in one. But there must be a humbling. And there must be a walking away from the world's culture and the flesh that rises up. 
And we must be prepared to go into the way, Jesus, to discover the truth, Jesus, to have Jesus' life. And I just want to show you a little clip. And how many of you have heard of Cristiano Ronaldo? Anyone that's a footballing person? Still waiting for Paul to get that revelation. But he is known probably as one of the world's, the world's best player, if not in the top two or three players of the world. He owns ridiculous money. But he is very skillful, incredibly gifted at what he does. And I want to show you a clip. Um, and this is what's possible if Christ is in us. So imagine Cristiano Ronaldo lives in you. Okay? So you're going to see Cristiano Ronaldo do something. And if he lived in you, you'd be able to do this very thing. Vasquez beaten away by Buffon. And then Ronaldo! What a goal by Cristiano Ronaldo! Sensational! The greatest marksman in the history of the Champions League with an absolute beauty! Time up to us. All the Juventus fans around us are on their feet applauding. What an incredible sight. You can see around the ground, not just the Real Madrid fans, the Juventus fans. I mean, this Thanks, is nice guys. to pick out Lucas Vasquez. Did you hear what they said? What you probably missed it. The Juventus fans are applauding. The Juventus was the team he scored against. <laughs> How amazing is that? Now, if Cristiano Ronaldo was in you, Cristiano Ronaldo, the hope of glory, was in you, you can do that because that's what it means to imitate when he's in you. If he's out of you and you try to do that, you're probably going to break your neck, hurt your back, miss the ball completely. Maybe if you've practiced really hard, you might get your foot to it. But if you try and emulate, copy, you'll fluff it. But if you imitate, because Cristiano Ronaldo is in you, so it's actually Cristiano Ronaldo in you, not you, but people look and see you. They don't see Cristiano Ronaldo, they see you. You're able to go up with a bicycle kick, over your head, bang, goal. So Christ in you, like Cristiano's in you, you walk in the manner in which he walked. It's going to read 2 Corinthians and we'll call it a day. 2 Corinthians 13, 4. Just turn one page. For indeed he, Jesus, was crucified because of weakness. Yet he lives because of the power of God. So even Jesus. For indeed he was crucified because of weakness. He emptied himself, became like a man to demonstrate to us this posture. Yet he lives because of the power of his father. For we also are weak in him. Yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. What does Isaiah 40 say? Who knows Isaiah 40? 28, 31. 
What do the young do? Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? Christ in you. What do you reckon that looks like? I'm not saying you don't need sleep. I'm not saying you can go all the time and not need sleep. Jesus slept. But he was in the wilderness for 40 days and he didn't get hungry. That's funny, isn't it? Why? Because who he was in and what he was eating trumped his physical state. It was only when he came out of the wilderness that he became hungry. So God does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the strong. No, the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will regain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Is that a position of strength? Can you see the same passage between that to Corinthians, what we've just looked at with Paul saying, weakness is the pathway to strength. Jesus modeled it for us, for when he was weak, he became strong in the power of God. So Christ in us, the hope of glory, part of this process of Christ is coming to this place of weakness from your own strength. Even giftings and callings that are on your life have to be laid at the feet of Christ for Christ to give them back to you. Otherwise, you will run off and you will define it your way. And you'll run probably as an individual. And anything that comes against that individual lane, you'll probably balk at but it was never for an individual, it was for a body. Everything God does, firstly, is for a body. He's coming back for a body. The church is not me. The church is us. I'm a disciple, but I'm not the church on my own. The church is the people of God. It's a body. I'm not the body. I'm an arm or a leg and a body. I'm not a body. He's coming back for a body, isn't he? A holy, blameless body, son, a body that has been perfected in love. A body that is one. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Keep me here till we are one. He's coming back for a mature spiritual bride. Well, that starts through weakness. Only then can I be strong. Only then can the rivers of living water, the strength of Christ in me, the hope of glory. So the hope that God has of filling the earth with his glory is having Christ formed in you and I to an overflowing measure. And the glory of God is spread upon the earth. There's no plan B. There's only a plan A. And he's outworking his plan so I pray that we will hear 
receive. And if we're not on board with his plan, I find we would find that place of repentance and come back to your first love. So you can know what his plan is and you can get on board and coming into a life that is able to live above the earth. Amen. So, Father, thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your life that was given. We thank you for your living word that has been proclaimed. Father, I ask that you will take it and reveal it, if it hasn't been already, into good soil. I pray you would plow soil if it needs plowing. If it's fertile, the seed which holds the power would go deep and it would fertilize through your living word and your spirit, God and grow in us, that we would become a tree planted by the waterside that is nourishing and being nourished through the water, which is you, Father of life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.